We've been studying spiritual warfare for the last little bit, and what I'd like to do is I'd like to be able to really show how the spiritual warfare can be applicable by looking at people in Scripture. And I believe that oftentimes we know the stories about certain people that we read in Scripture, but we don't really make it as applicable maybe as it should be. Um, I believe we can learn a lot from spiritual warfare by looking at these different people. One that we're going to look at today uh, is Noah. I believe Noah is a very important uh, person that we can learn from in Scripture as we read his story. And what we're going to try to do over the next uh, uh, while in our podcast is just walk through, starting from uh, here in the book of Genesis, and just kind of walk through and look at the people in Scripture, such as Noah and Abraham and Joseph, uh, David. Uh, we'll just continue looking at all these different people and just start really asking some of the questions and saying, okay, what can we learn from them? What are some of the most important points that we see? How is God moving in their life? What is their faithfulness and their obedience? And how does spiritual warfare play uh, into their lives? And I think one of the things we'll be able to see is each one of these people that we read about in Scripture um, have a different aspect of spiritual warfare that hits them. Um, And some of them are going to be very blunt, you know, we, we know the story, if you've uh, grown up in church or anything, you know the story of, for instance, David and Bathsheba. David wasn't doing what he should have been doing. He wasn't out uh, with his um, countrymen, uh, and he was standing on the top of the roof and looked over and saw Bathsheba, who was uh, taking a bath, and he desired her, and it was kind of one of those blunt sins that was there. However, we're going to be looking at Noah, and we're going to be looking at it, and maybe it's not so blunt of a sin. Maybe it's one of those things that is uh, just kind of a, if you want to say it, uh, it, it's one of those you wouldn't really see as something blatant that we're going to find in, in Noah's failures. And so what we'll find is that each one of these people in Scripture are just like us. They have different faults. They have different flaws. And what we can do is we can learn from them. In the book of Genesis, chapter 5, if you want to open up your Bibles and be able to kind of walk through, um, we see that Noah, if you want to say this, is introduced in chapter 5, starting in verse 28. It says that Lamech was 182 years old when he fathered a son, and he named him Noah, saying, This one will bring us relief from the agonizing labor of our hands caused by the ground. The Lord is cursed, and Lamech lived not 595 years after he fathered Noah, and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Lamech, uh, Lamech's life lasted 777 years, then he died. Noah was 500 years old, and he fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So we don't really get a whole lot of uh, history concerning Noah's life. I know that uh, there are some historical records that will state that Noah possibly worked uh, on boats um, that he uh, lived near the water and that they began to understand and learn how to use the waterways and that Noah was uh, already uh, able to understand how to build a boat. And so uh, that's all speculation. We really don't know for sure um, 100% on these things because we don't have the record in Scripture. But uh, again, we don't really get a whole lot of detail concerning Noah. But what we find in Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 through 7, is here we see the record and the account of how fast and how far 
man has fallen from sin in the garden. Uh, we see that uh, right after the fall with Adam and Eve that Cain uh, killed his brother Abel and then it just kind of went downhill from there and that things just continued to go uh, horribly wrong. So much so that the Lord said that it grieved him that uh, things had got to the point um, that uh, he had uh, seen sin destroy man. And so if you go here... Uh, it's starting in verse 5 of chapter 6. It says, When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind, whom I created off the face of the earth, together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. And so we see here that uh, mankind has truly fallen so far. But we see verse 8 here, and this is kind of where we want to pick up is verses 8 and 9. It says, Noah, however, found favor or found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so why did Noah find grace or favor with the Lord? Uh, that's a good question. I think that, you know, here we are and we see that uh, up to this point, we don't know anything about Noah really other than he was born. He had three sons. And then we see that God is uh, talking about how horrible mankind has fallen. Uh, and how horrible mankind's heart is when it comes to sin and that their minds and their hearts are on evil continually. And so when we look at that, we just kind of get this picture of everything is just so uh, rampant evil. And then all of a sudden, here's this verse in verse 8 that there's this man named Noah who we really don't know anything about that he found grace or he found favor with the Lord. So why did he? Well, we, we begin to see that in verse 9. So let's pick up verse 9, and I think what we'll be able to do is we'll be able to pick up three key things here concerning Noah and why he found favor or grace with the Lord. In verse 9, it says, These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries, and Noah walked with God. So let's look at these three things. The first one, Noah was righteous. Okay, so Noah was of high moral character and he had right intentions in his heart. Now, if you remember when we were studying the spiritual warfare, we had the breastplate of righteousness and that was the, the right intentions of our heart. So what we're finding here is that this man, Noah, was separated from the rest of the people that God had uh, been able to see that we've seen defined here as evil uh, intentions of their heart. Noah had righteous intentions in his heart. And so this separated Noah from those people. This is where uh, the idea of we need to be uh, in the world, not of the world. Uh, and, and so we don't need to be like unsaved people in order to reach unsaved people. Jesus walked and went to unsaved people's houses and he walked with them, but Jesus didn't act like them. And that's the difference. There's the intentions of the heart. And it's even the intentions of why do we do what we do? Do we do things in order to get recognized? Or we do, do we do things because we truly want to? And so that's the first one. Noah was righteous. The second one, Noah was blameless among his contemporaries. So what does that mean? This was his character and conduct with other people. A simple way of looking at it is people couldn't find fault to accuse Noah of. Now, there's always people who are jealous of others, and they'll come up with lies and rumors and things of that nature. But from a legitimate standpoint, these people who had evil intentions couldn't look at Noah and say, that guy's evil, or that guy's done this, or that guy's uh, 
cheated me or he's done wrong. What we find here is that when people would look at Noah, he would be blameless, not perfect, not perfect, but he would be blameless among his contemporaries because what they would do is they'd be able to see him and say, wow, uh, he's, he's legitimately uh, a good guy. He's legitimately someone who has good intentions. And then the third one is Noah walked with God. Now, this is not the same way that Adam and Eve did because Adam and Eve actually walked in the garden with God. Noah, instead of legitimately walking with God, Noah trusted God and pursued to be obedient with God. Okay? And that's the difference. And this is, if you want to say, the beginning uh, of faith here that we're able to see is that Noah didn't actually, uh, wasn't able to see God like Adam and Eve did, but he still trusted and he walked with God. Now, if you want to flip over to Hebrews chapter 11, this is called uh, the Hall of Faith passage, um, where we understand, you know, what faith is, and then we read about different people. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it says, By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, if you remember in one of the last podcasts, I stated that when it come to Job, I believe that God was teaching Satan a lesson in showing him how important faith really was. Uh, Adam and Eve didn't have to rely on faith. They actually had God there in the garden with them. But Job had to rely on faith. Job did not see God. Job did not have that intimate relationship with God uh, in the sense of seeing him as Adam and Eve did, but Job had faith. And I think what we see here is that faith is so much more powerful than what we may understand or even give credit to. I don't think we do a good enough job, and when I say we, I mean pastors and leaders, do a good enough job talking about how important faith is the depth that faith needs to have in order to have a significant walk with the Lord. Uh, We're going to see here with Noah that he is a man that is getting ready to have something, uh, if you want to say, uh, 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 given to him, a task given to him that in all reality makes absolutely no sense. Um, God is going to ask Noah to do something that he has never seen before in his entire life. And Noah is going to have to have enough faith to be able to be obedient to that. And not just be obedient to that in a short-term facet, but in a long-term 120-year process. And so this is going to be very significant. And so when we continue to look at uh, this story of Noah... We see that God says he is going to bring a flood. He is going to destroy the uh, the earth and destroy mankind off the earth. But I want you to go down to verse 17 and verse 18. It says, Understand that I am bringing a flood, flood waters on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven and the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. Look at verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you. This is such a powerful verse. Knowing the evilness of man... Knowing all the stuff that we already read, that even to the point it, God said it, it caused him to regret the fact that he had, um, uh, it would grieved him and he regretted that he had made mankind. God said, still, my love for mankind overpowers, if you will, or um, overtakes the evilness that mankind has done. And I want to make a covenant with him. God loved his creation so much that he picked Noah for this amazing honor. 
God, if you sit down and look at this perspective, what sense does it make that if all of mankind is evil and and the intentions of man's heart is on evil continually, why on earth would God pursue this one person, this one family, and try to save them? What it does is this is a beautiful picture of the cross. This is a beautiful picture of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him, that one person, if that one person believed in him, they would not perish but have everlasting life. This is a beautiful picture of John 3.16 right here because this is that one person amongst all the people with evil intentions in their heart, of all the people who had evil continually. God said, I found one person who is righteous, who is obedient, who follows me, who pursues me, who walks with me, who is uh, blameless amongst their contemporaries. And I will make a covenant with that person to continue uh, to show my love. And that's the beauty behind this. Now, Noah did absolutely nothing to earn or deserve this. But God apparently recognized his obedience and pursuit of him, as we've seen there in chapter 6, verse 8 and verse 9. Now, this in no way shows earning anything from God. This is not one of those things that Noah was uh, a good man, and so because he was a good man, God blessed him with all these different things. That's not at all what this teaches. It's not about the fact that God uh, gave him something because Noah earned it. Noah didn't earn anything. Noah, by faith, was trying to be obedient and serve the Lord, and God recognized that. And because God recognized that, Noah was blessed, and if you want to say honored, to be that person that God established his covenant with. Now, it should leave us in awe that God, in light of all the evilness of man, would still pursue man and make a covenant with him. Uh, That shows how much God pursues us. It shows how much that God wants us to be with him for all eternity. It shows how important and special man is is in creation, uh, that we are the, the, the epitome of the, the, the beauty of God's creation. And this should encourage us to know the depth of God's love for us is greater than we could ever know. To know that God is grieved in his heart, to know that God is so grieved that the only way to be able to alleviate the evilness of man is to, in essence, uh, be able to wipe them out is... And, and to be able to find that one person, to be able to say, I'm not going to give up on you completely. Because if we want to say this wholeheartedly, God had every right to give up on man. God gave man absolutely everything they needed. He gave them the breath of life. He gave them companionship. He gave them relationship. He gave them a perfect setting in a garden with him. He provided everything for them. Adam and Eve literally had to do nothing except for walk with God. Yet they chose evilness. They chose to pursue uh, self-centeredness. They chose to, to pursue pride. And what we see is that mankind didn't have to have a, a hard push to go off that ledge. It was very easy. Mankind, as a matter of fact, jumped off the ledge. We didn't need a, a shove. And mankind pursued evil. And what we find is that not only did you pursue evil, but you pursued it so much to the point you kept going and trying to pursue more evil and pursue more evil and create more evil. And God could have said, you know what, I'm done with this. I don't even want anything to do with it. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to go ahead and get rid of all of this. And he could have done that. But he said, I love you so much that I can't. I love you so much that I'm going to try to find a way to continue my covenant with you. See, in chapter 6 and chapter 7, we find that Noah preached for about 120 years. 
about something that no one had ever seen. Now, I'm not going to get into it uh, a whole lot, but there is something called the canopy theory. And the canopy theory is that um, there was a canopy that was over the earth that never, uh, if you want to say this just in a simplistic way, it had never rained up to this point. It didn't need to rain because of the uh, uh, process, the the uh, evaporation uh, would uh, just be able to uh, continue to have um, everything, the plants and, and all of that taken care of from a nutritional standpoint. And that when the flood came, that's when the heavens opened up or the canopy burst and the rain came. So Noah is getting ready to preach about something that people have never seen. Noah's going around and he is preaching and saying, man is completely evil in their hearts. God is getting ready to send a flood. It's going to rain and it's going to flood the earth and I'm going to build a boat and uh, it's going to save us. And people are looking at this and saying, okay, this guy is absolutely crazy. Uh, he may be a, a decent guy and he may treat people well, but he's crazy. There is no one who is going to uh, believe him because Noah is screaming from the top of his lungs that there's going to be this burst fall out of the sky of all this water that's going to flood the earth. And these people are looking at him and saying, okay, we've never seen this. You're, you're, you're just, you're going mad. See, so many preachers are obsessed with seeing results. So, what we find here, and this is something that always irritated me. It's amazing how often you catch up with different pastors, and it's not one of those things where the pastors will say, hey, how are you doing, brother? Or, hey, how's things going with your family? It's, hey, how many are you running in your church? How many people have you seen saved lately? How, how much is your church growing by? We're obsessed with numbers. We're obsessed with results. And just because you may have people coming to your church doesn't mean the church is growing. Just because people are coming to an altar doesn't mean they're getting saved. See, there's all kinds of people who made a profession that don't have a possession. There's all kinds of people who, because they got some things jacked up in their life, want to get some Jesus in their life, but they never surrender their life to Jesus as Lord. And so what we do is we'll have five people come up to the altar and we're like, oh yeah, God's moving in our church today. We had five people saved. You don't know that. Just because you have five people come to the altar doesn't mean five people got saved. What you got to do, the Bible says you'll be known by your fruits. Watch their life. See if they want to be discipled. See if they have a desire for Jesus. See if their life has been transformed. See if Jesus is Lord of their life. Don't just call somebody saved because they walked an aisle. And so what we do is we're so obsessed with results because we think results show how awesome of a pastor I am and how awesome our church is. I think some of the best churches that we see are the ones who are grounded deep in their faith and deep in the word, and you may not see as many results. Because what we do is we think that just because things are growing, uh, then everybody is successful. Well, if that's the case, Jesus was the most unsuccessful pastor you've ever seen. Because Jesus was only able to gather 12 guys that truly believed in him. And even those 12 guys scattered whenever push come to shove. And one of them actually betrayed him and had nothing to do with him. And so Jesus failed miserably. Jesus didn't build a church and build a congregation. He tried to work with 12 guys, and most of them uh, fled and wanted nothing to do with him whenever everything got tight. So we don't need to be so obsessed with results. We need to quit worrying about our numbers, and we need to start worrying about the depth of where people are going. See, Noah was not seeing any results. Noah preached for 120 years, and not one single person believed. Noah preached for 120 years and not one single person said, you know what, I'm going to give this guy a chance. I'm going to take a listen to him. 
I'm going to sit down and help him. I, I really believe that something like this could happen. I would even guess, and, and again, I'm speculating here, but I think sometimes we dehumanize these people because we idolize these people in Scripture. Noah was a guy just like me. I love the passage in the book of James where it says Elijah was a man just like us. And oftentimes we look at Elijah on Mount Carmel and we're like, wow, man, he's amazing. Well, guess what? He's also a man who battled depression, who went into a cave and said, God, I just want to die right after Mount Carmel. And so these people that we read about in Scripture were people just like us. The difference is, is we idolize them. And what we're looking at here with Noah is, you know what, I'm going to take, I'm going to go out on a limb. I bet Noah's wife sat down with him one night and said, Noah, do you really believe that this is legitimate? Honey, there's all kinds of people that are talking about how crazy you are. You're going out and you're, you're building this ark and you're preaching about how that there's going to be rain. And Noah, we've never seen rain before. Are you sure that's what God said? Noah's sons are like, Dad, you're working us to death on this boat. And you know what? We've never seen rain. Dad, I don't know if you're, you're, you're serious or not. I wonder if Noah's family was even doubting at times. Because 120 years of preaching the same thing and never seeing any results whatsoever would cause doubt to start creeping in. But yet Noah stayed faithful. Noah didn't look at this and say, you know what? Man, I'm going to tell you. God, you're just completely jacked up. There's no way you're going to be able to do anything. But no, God was telling Noah, this is what I want you to do. Now go to chapter 9. Go to chapter 9 and... I want you to read that. We're not going to do it today because uh, of just time. I try to keep these to a minimum as we can. And I want you to read chapter 9, verses 18 through 28. So far, we've read about what an amazing man of Noah uh, that he is, that he was a faithful man, that he was obedient, and that he preached. But Noah, just like any other man, has flaws. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read chapter 9, verses 18 through 28, and we're going to see a flaw that Noah had. And what we're going to do is in our next podcast, we're going to look at four things we can learn from Noah. And we're going to look at the fall that Noah had here. We're going to look at the flaw and the sin that Noah fell into. And we're going to look at the impact that that has. And then we're going to try to make that applicable to our lives. And so we've seen the good, if you want to say, the the obedience of Noah. But now we're going to start seeing some of the struggle of Noah. And so I encourage you to read that. I encourage you to um, continue reading in the Word daily. I encourage you to share um, this podcast with somebody. And I encourage you most of all to share the gospel with somebody. And if you are listening to this and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I encourage you to find someone who is an obedient follower of Christ and help them to be able to have an opportunity to talk with you about uh, what sin is and that all are sinners. Uh, The Bible says we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that everyone is in need of repentance. And so what I encourage you to do is understand what it means to repent of your sins, ask Jesus to be Lord of your life, and surrender your life to Jesus. And so we look forward to the next podcast where we're going to be diving in deeper with Noah and being able to see how we can learn from him. May you have a very blessed day.